0: Welcome back to Humans of Purpose. I'm your host, Mike Davis, and each week I bring you conversations with local purpose-driven leaders. Leaders creating social impact through their work and inspiring positive social change across a wide variety of sectors. Sit back, tune in, and enjoy the next 40 minutes guaranteed to inspire you with our signature blend of wisdom, experience, and better. Learn more at humansofpurpose.com.
1: That is a critical success factor for any organisation, you know. If they aren't learning and measuring um, the results of the work that they're doing, then how do they know it's the right thing to do Mm. moving forwards? Mm. How do they know what additional resources as an organisation they're going to need moving forward? to best grow that really high-need service that they know is producing significant outcomes for their beneficiaries and in achieving their mission, Mm. you
2: know? Terrific to be back with you here, as always. I just want to start by expressing my gratitude for our podcast supporters and recent promotional package clients who have really helped us fast-track the move to podcast sustainability. If you want to support the podcast, you can become a Supercast member and enjoy some great perks each week. Or take up one of our few remaining promotional packages spots for the podcast for the remainder of the year to reach our growing global audience. Our promotional packages enable us to amplify support for all the amazing purpose driven work happening out there that's having a positive social impact, and in doing so, it means we can break even financially and ensure our sustainability. More on this in the show notes. Again, we are proud to be sponsored by the fantastic folk at Neon Treehouse. Neon Treehouse is still the best digital agency on the planet Earth and have the right solution for any and all of your digital needs. Check out their offer in our show notes to learn more. This week, I'm thrilled to welcome Joe Garner to the podcast. Joe is the founder and director of Strategic Grants. Strategic Grants helps build not-for-profits capacity through their GEMS grants database, grant writing, grants training, grants workshops, program design and monitoring and evaluation frameworks, and strategic planning for grant success. It was a pleasure spending some time with Jo prior to the recent Connecting Up conference to learn from her insights into what makes the successful grant making and receiving processes and approaches in the process. There's a lot to learn in this one from Jo about how not-for-profits can stand apart in their grant making approach, how grant makers can make it easier for recipients to be successful and use their time more effectively, and how all of this contributes to a better funded and run for-purpose ecosystem. We highly recommend you check out the Strategic Grants free best practice tracker via their website at strategicgrants.com.au and get in touch with the team there if you have any questions or would like to know more. Hope you enjoyed my conversation with Joe as much as I did.
0: What a pleasure to have you down in the Melbourne office
1: at the Commons. Welcome, Joe. Thanks so much, Mike. Great to be here.
0: Great to be here. Um, we've had a chat a few times, but um, your name in the sector is um, well known and certainly to me uh, and various organisations I've worked at have a lot of grant challenges. So it's a great opportunity to hear from you and um, some, some key insights in that space. Maybe a good traditional Humans of Purpose uh, intro never starts without you telling us a bit about your journey into mm-hmm. the grand space mm-hmm. and, and how you managed to build your empire from there.
1: <laughs> empire. <laughs> uh, thank you. Um, okay. Well, look, to be honest, I'm a self-confessed accidental businesswoman, um, as I guess most people who start up in business are. Um, I was on maternity leave uh, after having had um, my first child and then quite quickly after that unplanned my second child and I was just considering uh, what I was going to do with myself and I got some phone calls from some organisations that I knew through my networks. My my previous full-time job that I was on mat leave from was at the Marta Foundation in Brisbane and whilst the doors were always open for me to go back there, these opportunities presented themselves from it. was the then Royal Children's Hospital Foundation in Brisbane and Queensland Baptist Care. In the same week, these calls came um, to say, did you want to write grant applications? We know you've got the babies at home, blah, blah, blah. And so I said, oh, okay, this seems like a great opportunity. And from there, word spread that I was doing this. Um, I was quite active out in the local networking community through Fundraising Institute, et cetera. So I knew a lot of people in a lot of organisations. And yeah, before you knew it, I had to um, find myself some subcontractors and I guess what I was also discovering as people were sending me applications to write, I was identifying when I looked at what their project brief was and then I'd do my research against the relevant funding opportunity and what they'd given to in the past and what their giving philosophy was, that there wasn't always a great strategic fit between the idea the organisation had and what the funding um, opportunity being presented was. So I then went on to develop more supportive services around that strategic piece, you know, the program planning and and building the list of funding opportunities um, that's gone on to become GEMS uh, in recent years. So I set the company up in 2009 and uh, now we have, um, let me remember, uh, 21 um, employees across Australia and New Zealand.
0: It's incredible. What a growth trajectory. And I, I suppose, I wonder going back to those days when you had those inbounds, could you sort of start to see a big gap in the market?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Look, to be honest with you, there still is. We are inundated with grant writing requests. Um, I think that grant writing is something that often falls under the position description of somebody who has many other hats to wear within for-purpose organisations. It's often part of a philanthropy role that includes individual major gifts. In smaller organisations, there might be one or two fundraisers that are responsible for everything. And, you know, if you've got a direct mail campaign that has to go live and there's so many other people that are involved in that um, that you can't miss any of those internal deadlines or if you've got an event, whatever it is, the grant applications will often fall by the wayside. Mm. So it's a typically under-resourced area within an organisation. So, yeah, there was just always has been... and I think always will be, I have seen no downturn in demand. In fact, we've seen a huge growth in demand um, for our services, particularly over the last few years.
0: And would you say that from your experience a lot of your clients and people coming to you are having a similar level of revenue coming from grants every year or are they sort of varied um, revenue compositions and it could be a smaller part or a bigger part of what they do? Mm.
1: So I guess it depends on the size of the organisation and what their revenue diversification spread looks like. Yep. So those typically that are a government-funded service largely where fundraising might uh, only account for a very small percentage of their overall income. Obviously, grants are going to play a much smaller role in that but still important Um, and that's evident through, you know, universities and whatnot who will receive millions of dollars in in big, big philanthropic grants. Um, But then there are others that grants play a really significant role um, in their overall revenue. And, in fact, you know, one of our clients, Youth in Search, who I'm going to be um, delivering a presentation with in June, uh, has grown from from grants. Both government and philanthropic um, has enabled an amazing growth trajectory for that organisation And they've gone from having one part-time grant writer plus us come in to support them To having now a full fundraising and development team. Yeah, it's incredible. And have grown their service delivery immensely because of it.
0: So you're not only helping to get successful outcomes, but you're building capacity as well. Oh,
1: absolutely. And that's actually our mission, Mike. Yeah. It's to build the capacity of for-purpose organisations to Mm -hmm. enable them to move on and do it themselves. So Mm -hmm. there's no better scenario for us then when we come in and work with an organisation for whatever length of time is, is required to build that capacity, so whether it be three months, six months, three years, four years, um, and then be able to help them sometimes um, recruit the right people for the role, help mentor those people as required and then step out and then they'll just uh, maintain, you know, some service, the right whether it be through their GEM portal subscription Maybe the ad hoc advisory riding in really busy times, but that's the perfect scenario for us.
0: So happy to step away and just do a bit of hand holding. Yeah, um, and absolutely. I'm guessing at the start it was probably less of that, but as you've grown a bit more of recognizing that important function of um, delivering. Absolutely.
1: Yeah, well, and a big part of the reason for that is because the relationship between any funding body needs to be between the funding body and the for-purpose organisation. A third party, as per a consultant, should not be the steward of that relationship. Yep. We can certainly share our insights and our knowledge and more often than not we have a relationship with the funders that they might be approaching. Mm-hmm. So we can certainly set up introductions and, and you know, mentor with regards to how the conversation should go. But it's very important that the relationship is started and stewarded um, completely by the organisation who receives the grants.
0: Yeah, that's really well said. An interesting perspective as well, because I imagine a lot of these brokers would sometimes try and um, be the holder of that relationship, and whereas you sort of see yourself more as that like critical bridge or intermediary
1: function. That's exactly what we use. We are yeah. we bridge the divide yep. between grant seekers and grant makers, Mike. Absolutely, and look, to be honest with you. Um, because we do have such strong relationships with funders, um, they share with us that they don't appreciate it when, you know, a a third party comes to them on behalf of an organisation. They want to be speaking to the organisation.
0: Makes total sense,
1: doesn't it? It does entirely, yeah.
0: In your experience, what makes a good grant maker or a grant-making partner, what are some of the key attributes you look for?
1: Okay, so um, and it's interesting because I've also done some sessions with grant makers to discuss this very, very um, point. I think it's really important that there's complete openness and transparency. I think that we need to remove all ambiguities of what it is that they want to achieve with their grant making. So it comes down to very clear and concise messaging from them about what it is that they want to invest in and what is the outcome and impact that they want to achieve through that investment. Now, if we can help them be as clear with that messaging as possible, and we do that work with funders as well to help them get to that point... Um, then it's going to be a much more successful grant making strategy. So the success rate for grant makers is just as important for the success as the success rate for grant seekers. Mm. You know what's the good of having a grant making program if you're only funding two percent of applications mm. received? Um, so the idea is to have a process by which only eligible, only suitable. Uh, well-matched organisations are going to be submitting applications Mm -hmm. um, and that the help provided either through the funder's website or through feedback that they might provide through phone calls ahead of funding rounds and whatnot is so clear that the grant seeker then has the ability to assess genuinely, honestly, whether they should proceed with an application or not. And it is the hardest decision for a grant seeker to make uh, to not go ahead with a grant application. But it's a really important one.
0: Taking feedback and active listening and sort of forming that close relationship with funders sounds to be important.
1: Yeah, and you know what? It never ceases to amaze me that some funders will tell us stories when we're having our coffees or whatnot. That they have had a really open dialogue with a recipient, a past recipient, and said, look, no, that project really isn't exactly what we're looking for in this funding round. Um, So best to wait for subsequent rounds. And they've still sent in an application. Well, you know, yeah, completely reading, reading disregarded. The, uh, but mm-hmm. it's been a very direct conversation as well. And in my mind, that's just disrespectful.
0: Yes, absolutely. And, and this sort of leads me to my next question is sort of thinking a bit about um, – you know some of the um, big mistakes that grant seekers can make. Yeah, what are some of the big no-nos that you've seen? I mean, from my perspective, a, a classic one is we need money. What are all the grants out there? Oh yeah, Let, let's <laughs> identify them and try and make up a program to uh-huh. fit any of these. Um, so maybe if you can build on that a little bit.
1: Well, I think you've nailed it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, there you go.
1: (laughs) Mike, that is just our one big rule is that you do not make up programs to fit the funding Mm. that's available. Mm. So what we need to do in fact is, um, first of all, assess the grant readiness of the organization. So our go-to is working with them to get them into a grant ready position, That starts with having the all-essential strategic plan Mm -hmm. that captures, you know, what are the objectives to achieve our mission. Yep. From there, there are operational plans. And so that's all the programs and things that they're going to be delivering. Mm -hmm. And alongside that, of course, is their operational budget. Yep. So from those documents, then we can draw out what the individual projects and programs are that require funding. And that needs to be Mm prioritised. So what are the things that we have to have money for now and what are the things that we're going to need money for in six months and 12 months and one year and two years, et cetera? And we must have that forward vision because funding results take months, in some cases six months. Um, So it's no good (laughs) when an organisation rings us and says, our funding contract with this funder is running out at the end of June, well, we're now nearly midway through May, that's not going to happen. We're not going to get an instant fix for that. It takes time and planning. So um, a lack of planning is definitely one of the big weaknesses um, that we see from organisations um, and within then the within that, I guess, you know, developing a project plan helps the organization to identify both whether the project is grant ready and whether there is a genuine need for it. Mm. So one of the applications we would ask on our program plan <clears throat> is what is the need for this project? Mm. And that needs to be substantiated.
0: Because they're always going to ask that anyway, aren't Absolutely. they? Absolutely. You've got to be sort of like steel manning the proposition. <laughs>
1: totally. And they need to have their own organisational data. So, well, we have this evidence because of the demand that we're turning people away and that should all be um, available in both quantitative and qualitative format. So it's that data capture piece that's so important that a lot of organisations don't have in place. Um, and then to that end, it moves into then how we're going to report on the success of the project. So do we have monitoring and evaluation frameworks mm. in place? Mm. So the two biggest areas of weakness that we see on application forms, and certainly it's reported to us from our funder friends that they're the two key most poorly answered questions um, is that demonstrable evidence around need and also the um, evaluation process. Yeah. How are we going to monitor and evaluate the success of the project but more importantly what we've learnt? Yeah. Because a project's outcomes don't always end up the way we anticipated. That's not necessarily a bad thing. It's about what we learnt.
0: Yeah, and I think um, I've even heard that some funders are quite happy to hear that things didn't work out and here is why and these are the learnings and they will sort of – listen to that and say, this is, a, this is a person we want to work with or this is a group we want to work with because we can see the innovation and continuous improvement that comes from direct feedback.
1: Mm-hmm. 100%. You know. That's action learning mm-hmm. right there. Action learning, yeah. Yeah, 100%, Mike. And that is a critical success factor for any organisation, you know. If they aren't... Learning and measuring um, the results of the work that they're doing, then how do they know it's the right thing to do Mm. moving forwards? Mm. How do they know what additional resources as an organisation they're going to need moving forward to best grow that really high need service that they know is producing significant outcomes for their beneficiaries and in achieving their mission, Mm. you know? Um, So I think that the biggest weakness in the for-purpose sector is not having adequate monitoring and evaluation frameworks.
0: Yeah, you're speaking my language.
1: (laughs) And that kind of comes to a problem then with governance and leadership and not understanding the intrinsic need for investment in that basic core infrastructure.
0: Yeah, and it's also a bit of a problem because who funds that? And I, I think government contracts, even themselves, when you've got multi-year commitments, don't leave a lot for M&E, um, measurement and evaluation, and, you know, a lot of um, philanthropic grants are now having a slightly bigger apportionment for that, but um, it sort of makes me think a little bit about what you said and what, what what needs to be in and what needs to be considered before you're going for a grant. And I've worked for organisations where there's, no strategic plan and there's also no impact model or measurement and evaluation framework and they'd send you off to sort of submit for a grant. And I just think it would be so plainly obvious how ill-considered and um, the lack of alignment in what Mm. you're doing compared to what you're asking for. I wonder whether that's very obvious to funders too, or that's just me.
1: <laughs> it definitely yeah. is. Yeah, <laughs> as assessors of funding applications ourselves, um, I can tell you it's very, very obvious. Yeah. When people are grasping at straws, mm. it's very clear when something being presented to you in writing hasn't been well thought out. Yeah. Um, because the responses aren't clear and succinct, and they leave you asking a million questions. And the key to an excellent grant application is one that leaves no unanswered question wow. in the reviewer's mind. Wow. Right? So that's how you know you've got the gold star of grant writing. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and and what is the value of um, partnerships in terms of applying for, for grants? I've sort of seen a, in my space a lot more um, funders wanting to fund collaborations and yep. collaborative impact Absolutely. models and, and alike. How have you seen that sort of playing out in your...
1: Yeah, definitely. So they hate replication, Mm. absolutely can't stand it. And that you've got to remember that funders are seeing hundreds, if not thousands of funding applications every year. So they know what's happening in the sector. They know if you've got an exact replica of another organization doing similar work, and they expect you to know. Um, And so working collaboratively in partnership is definitely um, something that both government and philanthropy want to see where it's relevant and where it adds value to the service being proposed Mm. for delivery. Mm. Um, With any partnership application, it's generally best, and certainly government requires this, to have a lead organisation who will be the administering body of the funds. So there needs to be very strong agreement between all of the partners in those applications about how all that's going to work and the brokerage of of the other services that form part of that partnership model of delivery.
0: Yeah, fantastic. And and Mm. that must be um, much require um, far more resource-intensive approach or just, mm. you know, more conversations, more collaboration, it'd, it'd be quite different to writing a grant in isolation.
1: Oh, it is. It's hard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sort of, yeah, it's a little bit like herding cats at times. <laughs> but anyway, um, but it, as long as, look, as, as long as at the beginning of the process and certainly when we're working with a consortia on a, on a big application or a big tender Uh, There are a lot of team meetings and project management is tight and there are very strict timeframes and deadlines in place internally amongst, you know, the the partners in that of of when they need to have very specific pieces of information to us by and we can be um, the best of nags. (laughs) In cracking the whip to make sure that all of that information comes in in time to get a really robust proposal together. Well, that's
0: absolutely required and essential, and it's it's good of you to do that on behalf of the rest <laughs> of us. Um, you kind of touched on this earlier, but I wonder if you could just outline what are the things that makes a really good grant maker? Um, so you talked about transparency, but as in what are the things that good grant makers do well that enables them to be uh, have a higher um hit rate right for Grand making.
1: Yeah, okay.
0: Some of the sort of, the, some of the, more of the practices or mm. approaches.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, I think, uh, I think clear communications is number one. So whether it be via their website, um, if they're able to give feedback or have pre-round funding briefing sessions mm-hmm. is becoming increasingly popular. Yeah. I think providing lists of FAQs, um, and commonly seen errors in their application yep. processes mm-hmm. is brilliant. Um, having a list of examples of types of responses that are strong and weak in their mind, mm-hmm. what is it that they're looking for in a particular response, Are uh, easy to apply, mm-hmm. so non-repetitive questions, Um, questions without ambiguity. Again, if they can put in those examples of the type of information they're looking for, uh, that's really good. And there are all sorts of things that we would certainly um, advise them to include when we're working with them to improve those success rates. So it's really about educating and training the grant seekers in exactly what it is they want and exactly what they need to do to get the funding.
0: Yeah, so it's sort of connecting up the dots piece there in a way. Totally, yeah. Yeah yeah no that makes a lot of sense Mm. um just in terms of your team and your growth, it's been quite dramatic you now, the 21 people, as you said. What have you learned sort of about surviving and thriving um, <laughs> with pandemics, floods, every biblical event uh, imaginable? Uh, what are the learnings there for you about growth and team management? What makes a happy team?
1: Okay, where do I start? <laughs> well, first of all, I think um, we're a virtual team. So everybody works from a remote location, a home-based office. So in a way, we been lucky that we didn't have that adaptation to make with COVID because we already existed. So over the years, one of the things I've really strived to do is make sure that the team feels that same camaraderie um, and collegiality that you get from working all together, meeting around the water cooler, meeting in the kitchen for coffees, you know, all of that sort of thing. And so we forever have had um, a designated time each week that is a compulsory weekly team meeting, but you aren't to have other things scheduled mm-hmm. around that. It's it's our, our time to catch up. And there's always, you know, social and general catch-up within that conversation as well. Um, I guess it comes down too, though, to the people. I mean, they're just all exceptionally beautiful human beings, Um, So recruiting well. Yeah, absolutely. There's a values alignment, Mike, and I think that that's really important. Mm. Whilst we're a business, we are not about working with organisations where we don't think that they will be successful. So we screen who we work with based on if we don't think they're ready, we'll tell them and then we'll direct them to other agencies that we think they need to speak to to help them get some critical success factors in place.
0: Yeah. That's so good.
1: Yeah. So, I, and and the whole team knows that philosophy. We have a really good infrastructure in terms of a an excellent staff handbook, um, policies and processes. You know, last year we in the last twelve months we've had four new key team members come on board, and all have. Made very positive comments about um, our systems and processes and how easy and streamlined we have an excellent onboarding orientation program. It's not just me talking to them. Um, in it's fact, not like an iPhone
0: video, yeah. you just sort of spouting out the oh values no. and mission. <laughs>
1: Well, all the others know far more about it than than I do anyway. (laughs) They're all the smart ones. Um, So they will um, have significant time with each other through that onboarding process and then we sort of have a, a buddy system where they'll sort of shadow one particular person for a week at a time depending on what area of the business that they've come into and I guess one of our key strengths too is that we've got multiple people that sit across multiple skills um, areas and we very much work on the premise of we're a strength based team. Yep. So if, you know, somebody's strength isn't putting the polish on the writing but they are so good at getting, you know, the data and the literature evidence base and doing the literature reviews and all of that stuff, then they'll just – you know, that's their responsibility. They'll go and do all it all and then dump it and one of the wordsmiths will put it into beautiful language. Mm-hmm. So we've got a pretty neat system. Um, it's taken time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> As in a lot of mistakes, there's been a lot of learnings. Uh, and I guess as, as the head show for me, it's about really being open to acknowledging that I am definitely not an expert in all things. Um, hence I will recruit people who are.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, I think, um, that's a great precept there for all good teams is mm. just sort of the, the leader doesn't have to be everything to no. everyone. It's about bringing the best people around you totally. and using them to, um, to lift the, the boat above all tides. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, exactly. I think we've done that well.
0: That's that's fantastic. And so in terms of yourself, I mean, how you manage yourself and keep your energy and vitality up, being (laughs) being the head honcho, do you have particular things that you do for well-being or...? Regular yes. practice.
1: Look, and and this is really instilled upon all the team. I don't want people working weekends. I don't want them working over forty hours a week. You know, um, I want everybody to have a healthy work-life balance, um, including myself. If we're going, if we're burnt out and stressed out, we're not going to do a good job. They're not going to stay. So for me, I personally I love Pilates. I love walking every day. I got up. Oh, Melbourne have put the weather on for me.
0: <laughs> we here this morning at the five degree mark.
1: Yeah, but it was lovely out there. <laughs> a, it was sunny, and the this sun is a was Brisbaneite with up. a glass half full perspective. <laughs> I love it. Fantastic. I get to wear coats down here. I don't get to do that in Brisbane. <laughs> but anyway, I wish I did. Wish I had have remembered my beanie this morning. Uh, my ears nearly froze off. But it was. Stunning. So I love my morning walks. Um, I love my Pilates. I practice yoga. I read a lot. I'm very social. Um, so I have a really active social life and I'm very, very uh, grateful to have an amazing network of friends and family who are exceptionally lovely, um, and very loving and supportive. So yeah, I think it's just balancing all of that with, with the work.
0: Very well said. Speaking of the, the work or, or just the joy, uh, you, you'll be at the Connecting Up conference this week. I will. Which is incredibly exciting. This will, it of is. course, come out after the Connecting Up conference. But I thought it might be a good opportunity to flag, um, you've got a session, on, the, I think, on the Friday around um, fundraising. So yeah. maybe this is a good point to sort of flag some of the insights um, that you think might come out of your presentation.
1: Absolutely. Great. Yeah, it's so exciting. And this is our first conference in, what, two and a half, three years. So can't wait. Um, anyway the the focus of what I will be talking about is something that we have developed actually over the last two to three years um, and that's called the best practice tracker and what it is is a list of key success factors that are critical to a successful grant seeking strategy Um, So what those um, key elements are, are making sure that you've got really strong internal project planning and project development, including that monitoring and evaluation framework, that you have then a wish list of all the funding needs for your organisation for the immediate 12 months and then beyond that, um, and key messages that um, consistently sing from the same song sheet via whatever communication channel you're using, Um, that you've got a grants prospect identification tool and obviously we would recommend GEMS. (laughs) Yep. And beyond that though, knowing how to match the right funding opportunity with a specific project and that outcomes um, alignment, then having the good writer internally or externally, or having somebody at least internally who can pull that robust program plan together and then outsourcing the writing. Um, and then reporting an engagement. So how are we really targeting um, the evaluation report back to the funder? Are we delivering those accountability reports on time? It still alarms me how many funders have to chase those reports. It's awful. And then the relationship and stewardship piece, you know, um, and again, we've got many organisations who receive multi-year grants, have received funding from philanthropic partners, government departments for many, 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 many years. So we really are very um, in a very good position to know what works and what doesn't. Yeah. So we've we've got these six key success factors. Um, And for those of you who would um, attend the session, Or attended the session, then they'll have a list and all the dot points. Um, So, you know, we give that away because we want organisations to be successful. And of course, if they need help when they um, complete their score, then they can call us to do that.
0: That's terrific. And so, for those who are listening who weren't able to attend the session, Mm. I'm sure we've got a a huge pool of listeners, many of whom would be um, community organisations that need help with grants. Mm. How can they connect with you, learn more about your work? and what sort of um, offers have you got that you can provide?
1: Great. Thank you. Um, So first of all, if they just go to our website, so strategicgrants.com.au and for any New Zealand listeners, .co.nz. Um, on that, we have such a wealth of blogs, um, at some podcasts, and this will be there too, Fantastic! which actually will go through things like that best practice tracker and certain elements of it. Um, so absolutely check out the website. There is a form that people can fill out there. Our phone numbers are on there. Otherwise, they just send an email to info at strategicgrants.com.au or Offers at the moment, we've actually got an offer until the end of May so people would have to get in quickly whereby if you purchase a customised grants calendar build from the GEM portal – you then get your 12-month subscription um, for 15 months. So there's an annual subscription p- fee to GEM Portal and rather than it just going for 12 months, it would go for 15 months.
0: Wow, so a couple of extra
1: three months in there. Absolutely. So the it deal. just about takes them to the end of 2023. That's By great. the time they get their calendar built, which is really, really good value, actually. And the, the,
0: the GEMs Portal is one of the big value-add propositions of um, strategic grants. It is. Yep. So
1: what it does is via back-end taxonomy that specifies um, the legal status of organisations, both funders and fund seekers, the type of work that they're doing to very specific details. So, you know, if it's um, aged care, it goes down to all is it at-home care, is it residential care, is it capital and infrastructure, you know, the type of funding that's provided and you can be very specific about that. And the geographic location right down to LGAs. Um, And it therefore builds a list of just the relevant grant opportunities based on all of those different criteria. Then you can add additional criteria matches. So if you don't want to see council grants, um, if you don't want to see grants under a certain amount, if you're a larger organisation, yeah, and through the GEM Portal subscription, it's always kept up to date because our research team are in the background beaving beavering away <laughs> so 6 of the 21 or 6 or 7 of the 21 team members are our research team
0: oh fantastic
1: and they're all um postgrad undergrad students who are all expert at researching, all again with a passion for the sector. My daughter is one and (laughs) our head of um, IT. He's got two of his adult children also working amongst us. Fantastic. Family business. Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) So um, they're in and they conduct over 80 hours of research every week.
0: Wow, that's phenomenal. It what is. a function to have in the in the back pocket. Yeah. Um, and just say anyone wanted to reach out to you personally, yeah. um, how can they do that?
1: They can reach me on Jojo at strategicgrants.com.au.
0: Terrific. Well, Joe, it's been lovely. Thanks so much for dropping in.
1: Thanks so much, Mike.
0: If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you hit the subscribe button in your podcast player and why not share it with a friend or two. If you want more from your Humans of Purpose experience, become a Humans of Purpose member today through our new
2: platform, Supercast. All you need to do is hit the link in our show notes. If you have a message to share with our audience about your brand, products or services, we have a wide variety of paid promotional packages available. Please get in touch by hitting the link in our show notes.